Hey, everybody. Glad you're here. Why don't we open the Bible to the book of Galatians? You are new and not really familiar with that is. There's a Bible at the end of a row. Um, you can pick that up at the be- opening, at the beginning of it. There's a table of contents. Look for the book of Galatians toward the back. If you want to use your phone, there, we use a version of the Bible called the English Standard Version. And so you can uh, quickly kind of search for that. And we'll be in the book of Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> we use the Bible. We believe it's God's word to us and it has authority. And so we are hoping to understand it and to allow God to speak to us through it. So... Uh, if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to read it here in just a second. But while you're turning there, just wanted to remind uh, those of you who are part of the TCC Church family, we've got a family meeting tonight, 4.30 to 7.30, dealing with a lot of stuff about the future and just some, uh, a lot of exciting uh, uh, family discussion type things. So if you're in the membership process or you are a part of the TCC family, please come tonight, 4.30 to 7.30. We'll eat together. Some of you RSVP'd um, after Friday at 10.00. Just know that we have kind of maxed out our kids' um, stuff, and so you can come. Some might not come, and then you can. they might be able to take you, but there are some limits as to what uh, we can do. We have 70 kids right now uh, that are signed up, um, and uh, that was before people, about 20 more people, 30 more people were added on Friday. So um, just know that that's, we're trying to do our best, but our workers are limited um, and yet come. We have dinner for you tonight. We will have dinner for everybody if you RSVP'd at all. Even if you rsvp today, we can uh, accommodate you. But um, so thankful that we get to meet together and very uh, excited about talking tonight. For those of you who are not part of the TCC family and don't really care and feel very ostracized, everything else we do is for you. So um, we have a family meeting. I mean, we have a uh, Loving the City celebration September the 9th. That's where after church we're just going to hang out on the lawn and we're going to feast with the community. So we're going to eat a lot and have a lot of fun. So we want you to be a part of that. Also, September 28th, we're going to have a seminar in here where we get to discuss some things. I'll talk more about those details as they come, but put it on your calendar, September 28th, talking through uh, some things on mental health and about depression and anxiety, suicide and those kind of things, the role of medicine, etc. So looking forward to talking about those things. Well, we're in Galatians today. We're not going to talk about any of that today. Okay, let's go on. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 to 10. I'll read and then I'll pray and we'll go at it. The Word of God says this, I, Paul, am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a slave or a servant of Christ. Let me pray. Father, in these moments, please come. You're here. You are with us. There's a supernatural work that you are doing and will do. But I pray that there would be an inescapable sense of your love, of how much you are for us. God, I pray that you would break down pride that would keep us from actually listening and applying. I pray that you would remove distraction. I pray that you would awaken us physically and emotionally and mentally. I ask that you would just make our hearts ready in this moment and that at the end of the day we would say, I'm all in for you, Jesus. Father, please, may there be no part of our lives that we withhold from you. But may we surrender. May your Holy Spirit work through his word. And would you change us from the inside out. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in uh, this series in the book of Galatians, and I've entitled the entire series, Free at Last. The idea of free at last is really where Paul helps the Galatian church understand what freedom is. You are, when you are set free, you are freed from something to something. And that's what we discussed a little bit last time. But we, by Jesus Christ, you are freed from your sin if you trust in him alone. But you are not just freed from your sin to live your life as you wish. It's not a freedom as if there aren't any rules. Actually, that is not freedom. That is devastation. Instead, we are freed from our sin and it's just condemnation that we deserve for it we are freed from that into an intimate relationship with Jesus where he comes and he mysteriously lives inside our heart and changes us from the inside out this is freedom but what about those who found freedom and then are tempted to run back out of freedom take those who struggle with addiction If you have struggled with an addiction to a person, an addiction to a substance, an addiction to an activity, what happens is you come out of that and you see things differently. Sometimes it's even described as if the clouds have dissipated. You see more sunshine than you do clouds. And and there's a joy. You're running with the sense of the chains of that addiction have been dropped. And there's just this newfound freedom to run. But... What happens when those sunny days all of a sudden seem a little cloudy again? What happens? We are tempted to fall back into old patterns because we had trained ourselves that that substance, that relationship, that activity would solve the pain of our heart. Would either numb us, help us forget about it, Or it might even give us some initial feeling that might seem like a savior, but you know if you've been an addict, that savior scoffed at you and made fun of you and only trapped you. What is it? What is it about finding freedom and then being tempted to run back? It's kind of like a person who's in an abusive relationship. When they get out of that relationship and they find that they're valuable and that Their value isn't built upon a a dependency upon someone who mistreats them and abuses them, but they get out of this situation and there is a freedom. But isn't it almost mind-blowing sometimes how they might want to run back towards that relationship or the other relationships that they might choose are just as abusive. Why? Because they have trained themselves to define love by this painful shackled way of living they ran out of freedom back into enslavement and Paul is speaking to this very thing why Galatian church Galatia was an area in the first century in kind of modern day Turkey why church when you have found freedom in Christ he has set you free by faith alone why would you then go back And enslave yourself once again. Why would you start adding to Jesus when Jesus was enough for you? Why would you make it Jesus plus? Why would you do it? And Paul says in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Jesus. The one who called you in the grace of Christ. We are allergic to grace. Anything that says, I can't do, and I need someone to do for me, you might as well have slapped somebody in the face, cussed them out. That's just not our worldview. And yet, deep down, that's what you want. You know deep down you are inadequate, and you know That you need someone greater than yourself to save you. You know it. And if you don't, you will fight all of your life to try to prove me wrong. Only to realize you couldn't do it. 
Paul says, there's a Savior who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ. That means when you could not fix yourself, Jesus came to you. He came to you because he loved you. And he gave his life to die in your place. And he took the punishment that you, your sins justly deserved. He took them upon himself. And he died a sinner's death, although he had no sin. And three days later, he was raised from the dead to show that not even the grave could hold him. And therefore, he's more powerful than your sin, than your drama, than your pain. And he loves you and he asks you to repent of your sin and to call out to him to save you and you to admit you cannot save yourself. He says, why are you running from that good news? Why are you running from it? This news has set you free and now you're running from it. You're trying to add. You're trying to add your old works and smuggle them back in there. And so, what happens is, they were taught the grace of Jesus Christ, but now they're turning to a different gospel because there's some that are coming in and bringing a false message. You see that in verse 7? Not that there is a different gospel, because there's only one. There's only one good news. But there are some who trouble you. Some have come in and they trouble you. They bring in trouble with a different message. It says in Galatians chapter 5 that they are those who unsettle you. Galatians chapter 2 tells us they are those who come in and they spy out your freedom in order to rip away your freedom. They're spies. With the picture of I'm doing you good, they're destroying you. They trouble you. They unsettle you. They are spies on your freedom. Why are you listening to them? And why are they doing that? Well, Galatians chapter 6 gives us some insight as to why these people are kind of running around telling a false message. And it's in Galatians chapter 6 verse 12. It says this. It is those who make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Now you got to understand. There's a group of people. And the Jewish leaders are upset at this gospel of grace. They're upset of this free message on Jesus alone and they want to add, no, you've got to obey the law in order to be saved. Now, you've got some people that got to have to pick sides. So what they did was they created their own group. No, you can have Jesus, but it's Jesus plus obeying the law in order to be saved. So they go out and that way that protects them from looking like they're getting rid of the Mosaic law. And now they get everybody's pat on the back. All the leaders to get the pat on the back. And it protects them from being persecuted. And now they get to be the leaders of their own kind of movement. Galatians chapter 6 verse 12 says, It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're doing it for the approval of man. And that's why Paul says in verse 10 of this very section, if you look at it in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Answer, of God. Or am I trying to please man? No way. If I were still trying to be a man pleaser, I would not be a servant of Christ. Flip it around. If my aim is to please people, I am not acting like a follower of Jesus. Now, this sermon is not about living for the approval of people or not. That It's about more than that. But it's just helpful. It's just helpful to stop and say, every one of us struggle. Every one of us have distorted the truth or compromised a conviction all because we were afraid of what somebody else might think. Me included. Every one of us have cowered to the fear of somebody's thought of us and in some way, shape, or form either distorted, compromised, acted as if he wasn't that important to us, whatever it was. It's a temptation for us all 
And Paul just says, that's not how a follower of Christ would act. Now, the good news, he's writing this letter because you don't have to stay that way. The good news is all of us have failed. All of us have chosen man over God. And here he's saying, just turn. Turn to a Savior who died for that very sin and be set free. Live in the freedom that's found when you follow me rather than following people whose opinions are up and down all over the place. You'll find that's a rough way to live. But Paul says, to be a servant of Christ, we want to please God. Now there was another problem. The other problem with these false teachers, not only were they coming in and unsettling and creating trouble, they were saying it's Jesus plus your obedience is how you get accepted. On top of that, they were creating disunity in the church. The church was starting to fight and battle against each other. Galatians chapter 5 verse 15, it says this. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Do you get it? The picture is they are now starting to fight with each other. False teaching, it brings in a sense of disunity. And when people make secondary things primary, all of a sudden people begin to bicker and fight. My way is the right way. No, my way is the right way. And so Paul is here and he is saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly running from the gospel of grace to this different gospel. What is that? They were saying that the Jewish people, their traditions needed to be put upon Gentile people in order for God to love them and accept those Gentile people. It was circumcision. It's trust in Jesus and be circumcised. Become Jewish, basically. That's how you would be saved. They would even add dietary laws and marriage restrictions and all kinds of things like that. It was Jesus plus those things. And Paul says no. And listen to this. This is not just like right versus wrong, which it is. It's not just, you know, this will be a little inconvenient for you. This has eternal consequences. To shift and to twist the gospel has eternal consequences. He says it not once, but twice in this passage. Look at verse 8. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, you can just imagine, he's thinking like, okay, somebody that you're going to trust. You might not trust me, but let's just think of, okay, someone, an angel from heaven for crying out loud. If they come down and they teach you a different gospel than the one that was proclaimed to you, Jesus Christ alone, where God came and changed you. If anybody preaches a different gospel, let them be accursed. Let them be damned. Let them be condemned. Let them experience the just wrath of God for eternity. That's the language. It's not let them be not included in a club. It is eternal consequences and the devastating thing about life is that every one of us will die every one of us it's not a scare tactic it's just life every one of us will die the bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and the wages of sin is death that's why we all die we're all sinners we all need a savior and we will face a judgment on that last day. And you will not be able to say on that day, I did good. I was kind. Or I was better than my neighbor. The only statement that is accepted on that day was I could not save myself and I trusted Jesus to do it for me. Jesus is enough. And the beautiful thing for all of, everyone's afraid of death. Everyone. The only thing that delivers you from that fear is a Savior who died in your place. And three days later conquered the grave so that you've got hope that death is not the final word. It's not the final word. Christ has the final word. Death has been overcome. It is a historical fact. Jesus rose from the dead. And by simple faith alone, 
I trust you to do what I can't do, Jesus. You will have an eternity with him. That is the beautiful gospel. But anyone who distorts it and anyone who rejects it, it says, Paul says it twice. As we have said, verse 9 before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be cursed. Now, if I'm in your shoes, I want to know two things. One, what is the true gospel? I've talked about it. I'm going to give it to you just a little clearer. And then the second is, if you're like me, I'm like, okay, I don't really struggle to add circumcision to my salvation. That's just really weird to me, right? Like, that's not my struggle. So, I'm sorry it was their struggle. They should have done better, right? But that's not mine. Irrelevant. Move on, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the temptation. And what we have to do is we have to go a little deeper and ask, not about circumcision, but we have to begin to ask, what are we adding to Jesus? What kind of different gospels are we believing? But let's start with the first one. I want to do a history lesson. If I, if I just lost you all and you're ready to leave, stay with me. Okay, map. We're going to have a map on the wall here. Okay, so this is like Jerusalem area, Mediterranean Sea, Syria. You go up. All this is kind of modern-day Turkey. Now, what we see on this map is Paul in Acts 13. Um, Paul was saved in Acts chapter 9, Acts 13. He and Barnabas are found in this church right here, the church at Antioch. In Antioch, they were gathering together in Acts 13, and they were praying and worshiping the Lord and fasting. And they were, as they were praying, the Lord was just like, we need to plant churches in areas where the gospel is not known. And so Paul and Barnabas kind of were called out to do that. And they first went to Barnabas's home area in Cyprus, and they land in Salamis. And as they land there, they proclaim the gospel, and they go from here all the way across the island to Paphos. And as they're there, they're proclaiming Jesus Christ, and people are coming to faith. From there, they zip across the Mediterranean to Perga, and then they go from Perga up to Antioch in Pisidia. Antioch in Pisidia is in the tan-colored area, which has the red letters Galatia. Antioch in Pisidia is in Galatia. It's in southern Galatia. And it is there where we find in Acts chapter 13, Paul gets an opportunity to speak the good news. This is probably a version of the good news that was spoken to these Galatian churches that now they were rejecting. So you get the scene, they go and Paul and Barnabas go and gather in a synagogue where there is teaching going on. And then after the Bible is read, they say, is there anybody who wants to give a word of encouragement? Paul's like, it's my moment. This is my now. So he stands up. And this is what he says. Now, this is an extended text, Acts chapter 13. But I figured, even though it's long, I'm safe because it's the Bible. Okay? So, what I want you to hear is this is Paul speaking the gospel to a gathering of people that were comprised of Jews and those who were not Jews but were curious about God and even feared him. Verse 16, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Do you see where he begins? Begins. He begins with God. God as the one who chose a people and whose story is written by God himself. It is this God who chose our fathers. It is this God who made the people great. It is this God who delivered them from the hands of Egypt. This is to drain the Jewish listeners of all of their pride. It's the God, the God of creation. And then it says in verse 18, And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. 
If they were still proud, he's basically like, you know those wilderness years? Those were not your most shining moments as a people. He put up with you, which means he didn't give up on you. But you deserved to be given up on. Instead, he says, after destroying seven nations, God is a warrior. He went before them in the land of Canaan. He gave them their land as an inheritance. That's the promised land. It says all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, which they were not supposed to do. It was a rejection of God as their king. They wanted an earthly king. And so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Who's doing the removing and the placing? It's God. He's setting the table that God is in control. This is his story. And he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Now before his coming, John, the one we know as John the Baptist, had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. Do you follow? This whole story was something that was promised beforehand. This Jewish Messiah was coming and he was going to come in the line of David and he came. His name is Jesus and he will take away the sins of the people and he will save both Jews and Gentiles. This message is for us, it says. Keep listening. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which they read every single Sabbath, he fulfilled them, they fulfilled them by condemning him. You get that? They're reading the Bible that says the Savior is going to come and he's going to die, and they are not following it, and they end up being the very ones who kill the Savior. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death because Jesus was sinless, they asked Pilate to have, an, have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, do you get this? They carried out God's story. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Now that's news. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the, what are the next two words? Good news. That's the word gospel. It's the very thing Paul is talking about in chapter 1. He brought them this good news. And when they heard it, they turned from their sins and the Spirit of God came over them and changed them. This is the good news that was promised to the fathers. Verse 33. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it was written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he spoke in this way. I'll give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. Do you see what he's doing? The resurrection. The death and resurrection of the Savior were shown in the very Bible that they had in their hands. The Old Testament said it. Because he says, if you thought that was David that wouldn't see corruption? (laughs) After he served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his own fathers. He saw corruption. But he whom God raised from the dead did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's like water to a thirsting person. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, 
Everyone who believes is freed. Freed. Do you hear this message of Galatians? Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is the Galatian message. Obeying the law would not set you free. You have to believe that Jesus did what you could not do. This was Paul sharing the gospel. And then right after that, he calls them to repent. What are you going to do with this message? The sharing of the good news comes with an invitation that says, no more religious game. No more charade. No more living for the approval of man. What are you doing about life and death, about the shame and the guilt of the heart? What are you doing about your sin? You try to solve it, you will not be able to. You go to Jesus. He is everything. Trust Him. Trust Him. He died in your place. He was raised from the dead. Trust Him. And so, that is the good news. Repent of your sin. Trust in Him. And in that alone, you'll be rescued and changed. Now, that's not the message that's always taught when it comes to how is someone saved. And so with our last few minutes, what I want to do is I want to make sure that it is aware what false teaching looks like. Because in this passage, Paul is saying, you have been set free from this false way. Why are you going back to it? All of us in here, we're not struggling with the same things they're struggling with, so we're tempted to dismiss it. And now what I'm wanting to lay out for us, this takes meditation and reflection, but what are the false messages that our culture is bringing to us that we are drinking like Kool-Aid, calling it good when it's going to kill us? Because here's the issue. Look at verse 6 of our passage. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. What's the next word? Him. I'll give you some time to get there. Let's look at it again. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him. Who's the Him? Jesus. That's right. Do you realize to buy into any other gospel, it is not just a wrestling over philosophy. It is a rejection of a person. They were deserting Jesus. And this is what you begin to see. When false teaching comes, I want you to be able to smell when something is soured. I want you to be able to smell when the teaching is wrong. When it's unhealthy. When it's diseased in its nature. And here are some things to look for. If you change Jesus, if you allow feeling to influence you more than the Bible, and if you seek to add to His finished work, you are deserting Jesus and following a different gospel. Changing Him, feeling over the Bible, Adding to his finished work. These are three things that I think we need to begin to become aware of as we live life. This is almost like premarital counseling. Premarital counseling regularly fixes marriage problems. What it does is it gives them new lenses through which to look at their life. This is meant to give you a new way of looking at our lives. What do we do with this false teaching? Now, before we go there, do you know when Jesus teaches his people to pray, he says this, and lead them not into, what's the next word? Anybody know? Temptation, but deliver them from evil or from the evil one. That's exactly right. What does that assume? That there is a spiritual battle that's going on that is different than even flesh and blood lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil 
Jesus is saying you have got to be on the alert because there is one who is trying to devour your faith. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Be sober-minded, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, and be watchful, be alert, because your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in your faith. There is a genuine battle that's going on. A battle for your faith, a battle for your soul. And that's what was happening. These people were smuggling in something and they were aligning themselves with the devil. They were teaching false things that were leading them to run away from Jesus and desert Jesus. And my prayer has been that God would protect us as a people. That we would not be running off into other ways, but we would... Love the one true gospel. So, number one, false teaching. False teaching changes Jesus. False teaching changes Jesus. I said it last time and I'll say it again. The good news is Jesus. He's the good news. Sinners get to be and a relationship with Jesus, that's the good news. Forgiveness is only a means to getting Jesus. Freedom from your sin means that you are not characterized by your sin, but by your Savior, and you get to be with Jesus. That's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might what? Bring us to who? To God. That's right. The righteous died in the place of us, the unrighteous, for one reason. To bring us to God. That's our greatest need. And friends, if you change the treasure, you change the news. If you change the treasure, you change the news. So if I tell you we're going on a scavenger hunt. And the result of going on the scavenger hunt is that you will get a brand new car, fully paid for, no mechanical problems, filled with gas. It is yours, free and clear. I probably get a lot of scavenger hunt takers, right? So we go on a scavenger hunt, and what do you do? You, you dive into clues, and you decipher the riddles, and you go to the next spot, and you go to the next spot, and you go to the next spot. Well, when you get to the end... What if I change the news? Sorry, not a car, motorized scooter. Not free, you owe payments. No gas, that's right. You got to figure that one out on your own. Does that change the news at all? You better believe it because the treasure has changed. We subtly change the treasure, we change the good news. Is it good that we have comfort and peace in the midst of suffering? You better believe it. But the good news is, we've got a Savior that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, and He ain't going to leave us. That's the good news. The good news is not health, wealth, and prosperity. The good news is Jesus is enough. Jesus is the good news. You get a relationship with Him, Him dwelling inside of you. You get it all. And friends, this is where false teaching begins to shift. They change and they make Jesus in their own image. The Mormons do it. The Jehovah's Witnesses do it. The Universalists do it. They begin to change and make God into their own image. And this leads us into a transition with what else false teaching does. Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. This is what I hear. I don't feel or I don't believe that Jesus would ask me to sacrifice like this. So I will do what I want to do. I don't feel that God would have me stay unhappy in this relationship so I will do what I want to do. And all of a sudden, 
how I feel becomes the barometer of truth and determines how we live. You have just stepped into the quicksand of false teaching. What we do is we are influenced more by our feelings than we are driven by God's words. Do you understand? Paul labors in Galatians chapter 3 and 4 to say the Bible was not the problem. Your reading of it was the problem. You're misinterpreting it. It's not that you should get rid of the Bible and that it's archaic. No, the word of God is the word of God. He goes to it as the anchor for his argument. The good news has always been the good news and it's right here. And he seeks to show that to them. The Bible is meant to be the guide according to Paul. Not how they felt about the Bible. And dear friends, we do this all the time. We allow our feelings to be the final word and the final authority. Or our thinking to be the final word and the final authority. And I don't know about you, but like, I forget things. I get confused a lot. I got I get a scattered mind. I don't want this thing to be the final authority. You might think a lot higher of yourself than I think of my nugget, but if I'm, if you're honest, you you probably don't want your forgetful, scattered mind to be the ultimate authority either. And what about my feelings? One day I can wake up and I feel like I can conquer the world, and the next day I can wake up and feel like the world just conquered me. Do I really want that to be what determines all of life for me and that's going to be the authority? I definitely don't want yours to be my authority. And I don't want mine to be my authority. What do we do? Where is the security? So let me just ask you this. There's a lot of our people, several of our people, that have tattoos. And many of you want one. Is that okay? Sure. Why did you say yes? How do you know? Because don't you know the book of Leviticus says that you shouldn't be all tatted up? That's a paraphrase, right? (laughs) Don't you know this? No tats for you. That's what it says in Leviticus. What do you do with this? So if you then say, my tattoos are okay, I want to ask you, how did you make that decision? You got a couple of choices. So one, if you said, well, they said it was okay, and they seem to love God, so it's got to be okay for me. All you have done is you have allowed their convictions to be yours. You own nothing. And we need to start owning our faith rather than farming it off to some preacher or some person that looks spiritual. It's our faith. It's my faith in Jesus Christ. And I love Him. And He has changed me. And we farm it out to too many people so that when the hurricane gale force winds of crazy teaching come our way, we are blown right off of our feet and we don't know what to do. Or when the mighty winds of suffering come our way, we feel like there is nothing underneath our feet at all because our faith has not been owned. It has been farmed out. Is that why you got a tattoo? Somebody told you it was okay? Well, let me ask you this. If that's not you, then maybe you did it for another reason. Maybe you said the very thing I started with. God wouldn't keep me from doing something like that. I like them. I think they're beautiful. I think they're great. I want a tattoo. He would not say not to do that. All of a sudden, you've made how you feel and what's in your brain the authority rather than anything else. Joshua Harris calls that how I feel 
It's a version of Christianity where your feelings are the rule. That's the authority. So, friends, we need to realize we need to be driven by God's holy word, not by our feelings. So we're going to do a series at the turn of the year on why can we believe the Bible is God's word? Why is it an authority in my life? That'll be after we finish Galatians. Note to self. I actually believe it's biblically permissible to have tattoos. Many of you breathe a sigh of relief, huh? <laughs> it's like, it's like, dude, what, what does it matter if, if I say it? I'm just a dork like you. So if we're all dorks, what's going to make us say that's right or wrong? It's God's word. And we're going to dive into this in Galatians chapter 3 and 4 when we talk about how do we understand Old Testament law in the today? But what I tell you is this. It is 10,000 times more important and more relevant to you about why you would get a tattoo than what you want and where you want it. Because God is after your heart. He's after your heart. And so I do believe it's permissible. But we'll get to that another day. False teaching says, let your feelings be the authority. God has given us his precious word. And the final thing is false teaching says, Jesus' finished work is not enough. It adds to his finished work. It's it's Jesus plus. Jesus plus my effort. Jesus needs me. His sacrifice is not enough. In the book of 1 John, like their whole thing was like the Gnostics. It was, it was about knowing more. So I trust in Jesus, but it's also about knowing this. And if you know this, then you can be accepted by him and loved by him and saved. You had to know. You find this all over the place. In some of the Pentecostal movements, it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus having an experience where you speak in tongues. Now, I believe that the miraculous gifts still apply to, delay, to today. But I don't believe that they're necessary for salvation. All of a sudden, now you've smuggled in Jesus plus having some experience. Jesus plus... Being able to heal or Jesus plus being able to speak in tongues. That is not the gospel. And so you find it all over the place. Catholics will say Jesus plus going through a priest or attending a mass. The Muslims will say Jesus a good man, but it's got to be more than that. You got five pillars that you got to follow. It's always Jesus plus something when false teaching begins to come in. They change who he is. Your feelings drive the ship. And then you add that Jesus' finished work was not enough. You know what else some churches add? They add what some will call the social gospel. They add this idea that caring for the poor or pursuing ethnic justice is foundational for salvation. There's a massive difference between necessary, out of salvation, and foundational in order to be saved. Some will say my salvation comes when we're out loving on the community and we're serving those kids. God sees that and I'm rescued. No. You're rescued by Jesus' finished work alone. And the fruit of that acceptance will be you will love the poor and you will pursue ethnic harmony. It's a fruit. It's not a foundation. And to get those mixed up, you add to the gospel. And the final one, it sweeps over us like something that has just come out of nowhere, but it is the wave of the enlightenment. It is humanism, as I called it. Some might call it naive optimism. That is, if I just believe it hard enough, it'll happen. 
Because ultimately, what you are saying is, I believe in me. I believe in me. And so I want to, when we talk about this humanity as the Savior of humanity, we've got to realize that is an empty bucket. And so I want to run to the great theologians of the authors of the movie Frozen. And as you go to Frozen and you hear Elsa sing. Now, more than likely, you're going to hate me for the rest of the day because this song will probably be in your head, and I'm really sorry. But Rankin Wilborn uses this illustration. I find it helpful. When Elsa is singing, she says this. I'm not going to sing it. Not going to do it. <laughs> not going to do it. <gasps> Conceal. No, just kidding. Um, Conceal, don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. What's next? Let it go. Let it go. She's describing the problem. The problem is, I feel trapped. I feel trapped that I've got to please everybody around me. I feel like I've got to hide. I can't be myself. I can't feel. So I've got to hide it. And she's saying, I'm tired of that. And you know what? I'm tired of it too. But the problem is the solution to what is a common problem in all of humanity. Who am I? What is my identity? Where do I find hope and meaning and success? How am I genuinely set free? Here's Elsa's answer. It's time to see what I can do. To test the limits and break through. No right no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Let it go. That's where freedom is. No rules, no boundaries, nobody telling me what to do. I call my own shots. It's human autonomy. I will make the decisions. I can do whatever I want to do. The options are limitless. I need no boundaries. I determine my path. This is the mantra of the day, and it is false teaching. It makes humanity God, and it makes God a convenience. You use Him when you need Him, and you do what you want to do. It's humanism. It's foolish confidence in ourselves. Now, before I move on, please, do not take this and say, we ain't never watching Frozen again. Don't do that, okay? I would argue, why don't you sit with them and watch Frozen and then describe to them how the worldview is different than God's worldview and enjoy the movie. Too many times our answer is boycott rather than teach worldview lessons and learn. And if we're not careful, what it does is it creates Christians that don't engage with a lost world. A world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus. We've got to be careful. We've got to be wise. We've got to have limits. Amen, amen, amen. But be careful. Barry Schwartz, in a TED Talk that he gave, he used an illustration of a fishbowl. And he says, is the fish confined? Yes. But to shatter the bowl and to remove all constraints would not improve the fish's situation. He says, the absence of a metaphorical fishbowl for us is a recipe for misery and I suspect for disaster. The answer of Elsa is, let it go, I'm free, I need no boundaries. The answer of the gospel is, be set free into Jesus, let him set the boundaries, and let him be your savior, let him be your aim. When he's the center, that's freedom. Freedom is not in self, and freedom is not in boundarylessness. That is a false gospel. It's not good news. And so, friends, when we have this kind of limitless options, no wonder why we are fraught with anxiety. 
Dr. Alan Ehrenberg, in his book, The Weariness of the Self, said that depression is like triple what it ever has been. And you know why? It's because we have defined our success in what we have to accomplish alone. And we have thousands of options. And we don't know what's right or wrong. I remember I was in Minneapolis, and while I was there, I was at this church. I was doing like this internship program, and they gave me this sheet of paper, and they said, you need to serve in the city somewhere. And they gave me a list of 50 areas where I needed to serve. 50. You know what I did with that sheet of paper? I folded it up and set it over there for five months because I was overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Too many options. Then it was somebody who came to me and said, hey, I see God's gifts in you. Why don't you think about serving here? And I did it for the next two years. Options paralyze us. You don't believe it? Go into the grocery store aisle and try to figure out what cereal you want. Good night. 75 different options, both name brand and generic brand. I'm overwhelmed. But here's what it does. Here's what it does. It tricks you into thinking that there is a perfect solution. Friends, you live this way so you don't think anything about it. It tricks you into thinking there's a perfect solution so you are always discontent the more options you have. When I was growing up, you had a phone on the wall and you had a cell phone that was so big you needed a wheelbarrow to wheel it around. That thing was beast. Now you've got 6,000 different cell phones and everybody's cell phone does something the other person's doesn't. And so what do you do? You look at your cell phone. Oh, yours does that. Mine doesn't do that. So now I'm not content. Then you switch cell phones. Oh, I want that one. Oh, it doesn't do what this one did. I don't like any of them. Options are killing us. And that's why in marriages, many times around year five, all of a sudden you get a little disenfranchised. Because you ask yourself this question. Did I pick the right one? As if you have limitless options, as if you're going to be able to figure out the whole scope of the entire world and make sure you get the perfect one. There is no perfect one. It's not going to be found. So rather than looking back and second guessing, realizing, why don't you look forward and say, we're both going to follow Jesus and he's going to make us into who he wants us to be and we can grow and learn what it means to be friends. This is the recipe from our world and God says this be united to me for in me you can rest with one decision my will versus your will run after me and you can leave all of these other things in my hands it gives you a sense of peace gives you a sense of confidence and so friends as we go Don't buy into a different gospel. You're swimming in a world that's feeding you a lot. And I pray that you can smell when that falseness is coming. It'll change Jesus. Your feelings will be louder than God's word. And you'll begin to add to Jesus' finished work when nothing can be added to satisfy you. Let's pray. Father, free us, I pray, from false teaching. I ask, O oh God, that you would help us to remember that not only are we freed from sin, but we're freed into the arms of Jesus. So God, please, I pray, come. Come and remind us what it is, that you are in us and you are for us, and if you are for us, who can be against us? Father, in this moment of reflection on all that's been said, I pray, I pray that where some have never surrendered their life to you, that now would be that moment. It's not have they gone to church before, it's not have they been baptized before, it's not have they said some religious prayer, it's do they love Christ and have they surrendered their lives to him. Father, please, in this moment right now, save Turn people away from the sufficiency of self into the arms of Jesus. Save. Rescue. Cause them to believe that you set free from what nothing else can set us free from. Father, please save. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus today, you're not willing to surrender your life to Jesus, we're going to take something called the Lord's Supper, and this, this thing is, is not for you. But this time is for you to, to call out to God and ask Him to change you. If you are a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. And you can come to one of the two tables in the front and one in the back, get the bread and the cup. And as you get those things, you will go. And in a spirit of prayer, you can stay up here and pray. You can go back to your seat, and you can just call out to God with confession, but also with thanksgiving. That when the Lord is your shepherd, he satisfies your soul. And so just rejoice that you are a child and you are loved. And there's nothing that will take that love away from you. So in this moment now, you might need to go to others and pray for them. Or you might be burdened to just pray over somebody else. Whatever it is, let's use this time of the Lord's Supper commune with God.